This is a Chronicle podcast, bringing you ideas in the service of medicine. From the Chronicle podcast system, this is the NPC podcast of the National Pharmaceutical Congress for March 1st, 2023. The NPC podcast is where we discuss and consider the purpose, process and people of the pharma industry. And today, we'll continue the healthcare conversation. This program is presented in cooperation with Impress, Canada's next generation commercial partner. The industry is rapidly evolving, and Impress is designed to help you evolve with it. Learn more about Impress tailored best-in-class solutions at www.impress.com. Our guest today is Tama Yakub Hanna. Tama is multi-channel engagement manager at AbbVie, and will join your hosts, Jim, Mark, and Mitch. Speaking of March, marching toward the microphone to start today's conversation, here comes Mitch Shannon, CEO of Chronicle Companies. Welcome back to the NPC podcast from the National Pharmaceutical Congress. I'm your podcast co-host, Mitch Shannon, up here in our historic podcast gondola, with a clear view of all the activity below. To quote Peter Townsend, we can see for miles and miles and miles, oh yeah. Seated next to me in the gondola is that distinguished commentator, James Shea, the general manager at Council for Continuing Pharmaceutical Education in Montreal. Jim, do you ever get tired of the commanding view we've got up here? Well, you know, to be honest, I was questioning my little corner of the booth here, but since I signed the 10-year, $400 million contract that pays more than Tom Brady, you know, I'm re-engaged. And, uh, you know, I bought you both these great faux fur seat cushions, which convert to hammocks. So I think we're all going to be happy. Uh, When you're a content creator, uh, you get all the cash and respect that you're due. I can vouch for that. Positioned to Jim's left is Mark McElwain, the pharmaceutical industry consultant and life sciences expert. Mark, I'd say if Domino's only delivered pizza up here in the gondola, we'd never have to leave and go to places like Sudbury. What say you? Staying here forever, that's a fetching idea, Mitch. But on my continuing theme, we're going to have to figure out a way to turn out that space heater. You know, it's a problem. Yeah, it's fire hazard if you do and freezing hazard if you don't. So we're definitely caught in the middle. Together, we are your podcast hosts, known as Jim, Mark, and Mitch, because all the cool brand names were already taken, such as Chesterfield Cigarettes or The White Lotus on HBO. Fellas, let's welcome Tamar Yakabhana joining us from Montreal today. Hi, Tamar. Hi, thank you very much, Mitch. Pleasure to have you on the podcast. So you are the multi-channel engagement manager at AbbVie, and I think we all know what each of those words means individually in your job title, but can you describe to us exactly what your position involves? Yeah, well, my position was created a few years ago when I rejoined AbbVie. It was created specifically to handle the digital transformation during the pandemic. And basically, we were trying to push the pharma industry years and years to leverage capabilities other than just the face-to-face, the mono-channel selling that we were used to for ages in this industry. And we faced the lack of access to healthcare professionals because of the pandemic. But hey, our industry still needs to provide educational information to our key physician leaders during these tough times to ensure that patients receive the right treatment at the right moment. 
So we had to rejig it and develop capabilities and come up with capabilities that meet the customer, meet the doctor in a totally different way than just face-to-face. Viva kind of boosted everybody up and said, hey, we're opening this Viva Engage module for everybody for free. Go ahead and go crazy. Reach out to your physicians. But people were not used to how to do it. What is this virtual environment? How do you leverage this capability? What can you do? What cannot you do? How do you share information? How do you share PowerPoint presentations? It was a new era. So AbbVie decided to create my role to do that digital transformation and help the infield team members, as well as the marketers, bring content to the customer through their channel of preference at the right moment to ensure that they are onboarding the right patient on the right therapy to drive the optimal outcome for them. So it's a new old role. It's a role that existed in other industries for a while. I would say that it is the marketing in the digital age, and it's not necessarily a multi-channel manager. It's just the title. But what we do is change the way that we market and communicate based on our knowledge of our physician. Well, as Jim here, you've hit on a number of points right there. So maybe we can go a little bit deeper on that. Can you discuss the role of multi-channel engagement in the farm industry now and how it's used to connect with healthcare professionals and patients? Absolutely. So let me just give you a few facts. And these facts, I gathered them over the past year from various presentations that I've attended at the industry level. 52% of physicians, they want their voice to be heard. And what do I mean by that? It means that they want to be involved in how you communicate to them through which channel and when and why. Then the other thing is that the face-to-face itself has diminished dramatically. And none of the companies in that space are going back to pre-pandemic level of reaching their customers face-to-face. 85% of the pharma companies in 2020, they invested heavily in technology, which means that they enabled Zoom, they enabled Viva Engage. Mind you, a lot of us now are going outside of Viva Engage because of the user experience is suboptimal. We're investing in emails, we're investing in portals for educational content or even promotional content. And then we're trying to lead customers from their inbox into reading through a piece of content that makes sense, that resonates and brings value to them. What we found out is that the ROI of using these capabilities as reminders or to bolt on to the face-to-face and virtual is actually higher than the ROI of the face-to-face only that we were used to in the past. So... That's why we're trying these new capabilities, but we also are trying to measure. In the past, we were unable to measure the effectiveness of that face-to-face call because the rep used to report that, hey, all good, all done. My doctor is an advocate of my product. Nowadays, this is not the case. We're able to measure exactly what is happening. And that's something they don't like, but hey, they have to live with it. Right. Very interesting. Now, you have a certain skill set. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about your background and why you chose to pursue a career here in pharma. 
So I'm a robotics engineer by trade. And my background just allows me to think differently, think how to solve problems in a non-traditional way. The other part of my background that you don't know is that most of my family, like my brother, my mother, my dad, my uncles, my cousins, they're all doctors, pharmacists, or dentists. So I'm the odd sheep. However, the fact that I was exposed to this environment as I was growing up made me learn a lot about physicians' behavior, made me learn a lot about communication, about what makes sense, what adds value to that group of highly intelligent, skilled scientific individuals who are treating patients. So it allowed me to think about how can I bring pharma closer to the doctor. And one of my promises to my dad, although I was the odd sheep, I promised him that I will stick to as close as possible as healthcare. So I fulfilled that commitment as well. That's funny. <laughs> Tamar, it's Mark. So we read you're also a director of the Pharmaceutical Marketing Club of Quebec, PMCQ. You know, over the years, I've been to um, more than a few PMCQ events. And as a Toronto guy, I've always been really impressed by how strong that organization is and how enthusiastic the participation. So for our listeners outside of Quebec, could you tell us more about the organization and the work you do for them? So the PMCQ, it goes back to over 50 years ago. That's when it was founded. It was built with one ambition, which is to educate our industry individuals in various aspects of life. So we build programs. Usually we build eight educational events a year that run on a monthly basis, primarily between September all the way to May, where we try to mix it a little bit. So some of those educational events are focused on personal development, and others are focused on industry development. We try to bring these two things together and create an engaging program for the employees of the pharmaceutical industry. We have a strong membership of most of the pharma companies that are in Quebec. We're also partnering with OPMA, uh, which is our equivalent in Ontario, and we're trying to see if we can co-host some of these learning experiences for employees of the pharmaceutical industry across the board, which is our ambition right now. Actually, PMCQ opened its events to beyond just Ontario, we opened it coast to coast, at least for the employees of the Quebec-based pharmaceutical companies to start. But our ambition is to expand it. What I do for them is that as a member of the board of directors, I get to vote on what are the proposed agenda of those educational events. I get to propose some of the speakers. Like last week, we had a very good speaker talking about artificial intelligence in the healthcare industry, and in pharma. He's a doctor by profession, so he's an MD and urgentologist. But he went back to school and studied data science, and he is coding himself. So he was able to highlight to us how ethical use of these new technologies can make sense in our industry, and how we should always consider that when we're building those artificial intelligence al algorithms, 
how can they have to be accompanied by humans. That's just the most recent example. And it's a good example. That sounds like a talk I wouldn't have minded hearing myself. So on your LinkedIn profile, you say you are a big promoter of e-health. So could you explain how you define e-health and why you advocate for it? E-health is a combination of so many things. It has been an explosive industry in Europe for a while now. I'll give you an example. Over 15 years ago in Denmark, they had an issue with elderly and hip surgery. And they found out the main challenge or why are they getting all of those hip surgery in the elderlies is that during the winter months, when the elderly is going to see their doctor, they fall and they break their hip on that appointment day. So what they did in Denmark, and I'm talking about years ago, is that they said, you don't need to go to see your doctor during at least the winter months. And what they did is that they supplemented that with providing them with telemedicine diagnostics at home, rudimentary to start, but it reduced that number of unnecessary hip fractures dramatically. They were able to take temperature, pulse, oximeter. They were able to take their body mass everything that the doctor would do, blood pressure, et cetera, and transform all of that data directly to that doctor that's sitting at the office and is doing that triage of that data and identifying, should I bring that patient to my office or are they okay at least for another month? So that is just one part of it. We've experienced the transformation of telehealth during the pandemic, just in the past year and a half or two years in Quebec or in Canada in general, there's a lot of people that visited their doctor virtually for the first time during that pandemic. But also eHealth has a few other components. I'm a cyclist and part of my eHealth is gathering all of the data as cycling to understand if I am cycling at the optimal level, or am I overstressing my body during that exercise? So with all of these new e-health pieces comes a lot of data. And the overall arching pieces that you're gathering your telemedicine data, you're gathering your devices data that are giving you those indicators. I have a my own blood pressure monitor here that also sends that information centrally. And guess what? I'm able to take my persona, my profile to my doctor that encompasses my cycling habits, my walking habits, my sensors data, all of that into my doctor visits. It creates a more robust and rich interaction when I visit my doctor where they really know is my hypertension controlled or not? I'm a hypertensive uh, guy because of the nature of my genes, but they know if they need to titrate my medication better by seeing this holistic view of information. We're here with Tamar Jakob Hanna talking about multi-channel engagement and all things digital and e-health on the NPC podcast. Tamar, let's talk for a minute about the role of digital marketing and how it's being used, and I should add also occasionally misused, to connect with customers and spread awareness. One aspect that was in the news just this morning is Le Nouveau Deleuth, 
one of the highest rated restaurants in Montreal, which has been the subject of pages of great reviews on TripAdvisor.com. Turns out the restaurant doesn't exist and never did exist. It's a hoax. Isn't this kind of a cautionary tale in the context of healthcare and especially the pharmaceutical industry? Absolutely. And you bring up the ethics around how we communicate to our healthcare professionals. The digital marketing is nothing new. It's marketing in the digital age, right? The way that we should use it, it should be with a grain of salt and caution. If it's not supported by clinical scientific evidence, don't do it. It actually uh, puts us a lot more in control because in the past, when the rep used to visit the doctor, we had no idea what dialogue was happening about the scientific value that they're being communicated or that is being communicated between that rep and the doctor. But today, with these digital channels that are controlled and reviewed, they're reviewed internally by medical, legal, and regulatory to ensure that they're aligned with our product monographs and what scientific claims we can do. And they're reviewed externally by bodies like PAB, for example, the Pharmaceutical Advertising Board, that goes through the content and ensure that it is compliant. It puts that layer of ethics and control over and above what we do as marketers to ensure that what we're communicating is scientific and based on the actual clinical research that was executed. So I see it actually as a positive and not a negative. We have to just be careful as to not overpromise using the digital interaction with our healthcare professional because we're still at their infancy. And we also need to advise them that when we are doing it through these channels, we are actually measuring the impact. We are measuring their engagement. We need to let them know because it's part of their privacy and it's part of our privacy obligation towards them. But the value that we do and the value why we measure that at the individual doctor level, how can I bring the right content and how can I bring value every single time that I'm interacting with my physician. So it's Jim here again. Now we've talked about the, we'll call it the company agent and customer interaction and engagement. Maybe we can move along down the line. Can you talk about any specific initiatives or programs that you've worked on that focus on patient engagement and empowerment? So I will not be able to get into the detail of what programs are at AbbVie that really touch the patient. I can just say that from a general perspective, our ambition as an organization and our vision is actually to make a, a remarkable impact on patients' lives. We are one of the strongest patient engagement and patient advocacy organization in our domain uh, where we play. So in immunology, oncology, in some of the specialty area, Parkinson's disease, hepatitis C, we have extensive patient support programs that make sure that this patient is actually equipped, not only from the financial perspective. A lot of companies in Canada, they say patient support program is just financial support for the patient to ensure that there are no copay and so on. Actually, we go above and beyond that dramatically. We ensure that the patient has information along that treatment journey, which 
makes them more comfortable taking these medications, understanding how long it would take them either till they get better or till they're actually full remediation in some cases. We partner with patient organization to give them the support that they need to go and communicate to their audience about the other treatment options that are available. AbbVie is at the breakthrough of bringing new innovative medicine, just the same as a lot of other companies. And I think that if we do it for the right purpose, which is the good for that patient, this will be uh, beneficial for us as an organization commercially as well. We do it because we believe in really making that remarkable impact on people's lives. Yeah, certainly uh, farmers come a long way with PSPs. They've evolved uh, dramatically and getting patients involved and allowing them to understand expectations has really come a long way. It's no longer, here's two pills, call me in the morning. It's we help people along the patient journey, if you want to call it that. Now, I'm sitting here shaking my head a little bit going, wow, how does a guy with these sets of skills come into pharma? Because you said you've got a degree in electrical engineering and robotics. That's pretty cool. I was going to ask you how your education impacted your career, but I'm actually more interested in how were you able to convince a hiring manager to take an electrical engineer and robotics expert and go into pharma? Uh, it was interesting. I started in the industry actually with IQVIA or IMS back in the days. And they were looking for an engineer. They were looking for an engineer that is able to develop algorithms, but they also wanted somebody that understands the science in pharma because this is their bread and butter. So to be honest with you, I was really lucky. I sat down with my first manager and I was able to talk to him about the engineering aspect, how algorithms work, but I was also able to mix the biology aspect, physiology, and my understanding of small molecules at the time, and how can they suppress certain inhibitors, they can do this, they can do that. And the guy was like shocked because his background was actually science, pure science, not engineering. And he said, you know what? you kind of build a compelling story and you're mixing two sides of the coin that I haven't seen in any of the candidates that were brought to us. And this was the beginning. And it put me on that trajectory that where I started doing less of the engineering and more of the listening. And with the more that I listen, the more that I actually do smart engineering, which is building solutions that are tailored to what I'm listening to. And I got in that mix of having scientific people, MSLs, you have doctors. I do, as part of my role, I actually go and meet doctors and understand from them what are their key pain points with their patients while they're treating them. So I'm able to mix those two worlds and blend in that industry very well. It kind of like evolved and grew on me and made me feel more comfortable being in that mixed reality mode. It's fascinating. Thanks. It's good. Tamara, it's Mark again. So your role, as I understand it, is in a sense to act as a catalyst to encourage AbbVie to adopt new methods of communication. And so I wonder how you yourself stay up to date on the very latest trends and developments in the farm industry. That is a tough one. 
because as you know, working in pharma, it's a very demanding job. But to be honest with you, I even said that to my current boss. When I show up at work, it's not work. For me, it's a lifestyle. And when it becomes a lifestyle, it's easier for me to go and look for information that fit my lifestyle. Just the same way that I look for information about how I can be a better cyclist. I go and look and see what others are doing in that space. And the fact that I'm part of the PMCQ allows me and exposes me to my peers within the industry and listen to what their challenges are and exchange with them in a dialogue manner and see how we can benefit from each other, not just me taking and not giving back. I think it's very important to give back as well. And I try to read, research as much as I can. I read in areas that are not even related to our industry. And all of a sudden, a new idea would pop up and say like, hey, you can apply this to our industry and this is how it can work. So I keep reading and researching and exchanging with like minds and unlike minds, as Mitch mentioned to me back a few months ago, because that's how you can become better. And listening is the key to all of that. So I wonder if you can say a couple of things about how you see the role of patient-oriented technologies evolving in the industry in future. It has actually evolved. We have the technology today to do remote patient monitoring. And I gave a few examples, but there is even deeper examples than that. We have devices that we didn't have five years ago, an Apple Watch or a Google Watch. They provide you a lot of these sensor data elements. We need to understand how we can inject all of that information back to the healthcare provider. That's one aspect of it. We have devices today that exist that really, it's like a pill box. It's like a Sharpie's box. You open it up and you take your pill. It gives you an indicator of how compliant is that patient with their medication regimen. So that when they show up at the doctor's office and they have symptoms, the doctor is able to see if that patient has been taking their medication or not and adjust course accordingly. Unlike the past where they just believe that the patient was taking it while the patient was 30% adherent, this is the difference. So the technology is there today. It's just how can we bring it into an ecosystem and make it feasible for the HCPs, the healthcare professionals to see that information, as well as have the patient trust these technologies to release that data for the technology for their own benefit. It's Jim here. So we're starting to wind down the podcast now, and we're going to invite you to play our word association game. So what I do is invite you to just go ahead and say the first thing that comes to mind in response to each of the following phrases or words. And I'm not sure we're going to roll any music in the background or anything, but, you know, I'll, I'll just start. PMCQ. A passion for learning and education for our industry. Healthcare marketing. It's marketing for healthcare professionals, but ethical. It's meaningful. It's value added. It is not just marketing for the sake of marketing. E-health. It's who we are in a digital form to inform our physicians how can we get better over time. Now a geography question for 500. Cairo. This is my place of birth. Dear to me, beautiful country, 
beautiful city, beautiful people, geopolitical problems. But hey, that's why I chose to leave. <laughs> Cultural competency. I would say diversity, inclusive, and being open to different ideas, uh, being open to different opportunities, different people, and their perspective, which may not always align with mine, but how can I learn from them? And how can I be better at being inclusive in my day-to-day? Thanks a lot for those. Gentlemen, I think we have to open up the vault again for a huge amount of points for that. We'll just call it a huge amount of points awarded for those answers. Thank you. Positively huge. Okay, so finally, it's time to put on your soothsayer's hat and enter what we call our prognostication corner. So I wonder if you'd like to make some bold predictions about where the life sciences industry might be during the coming year or two. Coming year or two, um, it will be tough. Cost is one of the key challenges. The government is putting a stall on a lot of the innovation that is coming. I believe the last stats that I've seen is that Canada is only approving about 28% of the new innovative medicine that is being launched worldwide, while the U.S. is approving 85%, saying we should be at 85%. But we face a lot of scrutiny in the life science industry, specifically in pharma. What I see is pay for outcomes. If we want to be successful as an industry and ethical, we need to start talking to government and pay for outcomes rather than pay for treatment. And that applies for the healthcare professional as well as for the pharmaceutical product at the end of the day. I think that is only fair for everybody. Well, Tomer, we got through this entire episode without asking you about chat GPT. <laughs> I think we deserve some praise for our restraint there. AI and pharma is going to be a whole separate conversation. So perhaps you can come back and we'll kick that one around a little bit at some point down the road. Actually, for that, I would suggest to chat with my friend, Julien Martel, who's that doctor that actually did the presentation about AI. He knows everything about ChatGBT and he exposed several concepts of how it can be used and be useful and also how it can be dangerous. <laughs> Wow. So now that you know where we live, you can bring him along and we'll have a great conversation with both of you. Thanks, uh, Tamar. My pleasure. Uh, to our listeners, both humans and AI bots, thank you for hanging out with us this afternoon. We will speak with you again soon. I'll bet you have questions for Tamar. If so, just send an email to health at chronicle.org. As always, we invite your comments about today's conversation. And if you attach your question as a voice clip, you might hear yourself as part of a future episode. We hope you enjoyed today's NPC podcast. If you did, please like it, rate it, recommend it, and do make a point of sharing it with your network. Find us wherever you get your podcasts, or, to keep things simple, just ask your smart device to play the National Pharmaceutical Congress podcast on Audible, or TuneIn Radio, or Spotify, or Apple iTunes. The NPC podcast is presented in cooperation with Impress, Canada's next-generation commercial partner. Check them out at www.impress.com. I'm your announcer, Leona Void, speaking, and welcoming you all to March Madness. 
This podcast was produced by Jeremy Visser, with help from Amy Elder and Spencer Eng. Research for this program came from John Evans. The musical theme is performed with quiet mastery by the NPC Podcast Orchestra, under the direction of maestro Clive L. Milbrook. We'll speak again next week.